Right, hello, and welcome back to Left Inside. I'm your host for today, Dermot Flood. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Colin Coulter and John Reynolds, who are both lecturers in Maynooth University and have written a very insightful article in Jacobin magazine. The article is titled Ireland's New Government Just Puts a Green Face on the Old Order and can be found in the episode description. Thank you both for joining me. Hi, Dermot. Hiya. Now, the article opens with a discussion of the February election and how that altered the political landscape. Uh, many have commented that by driving Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael together, that this has resulted in a, uh, a left-right divide in Irish politics. How would you characterise the impact of this election prior to the pandemic? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I do think we, we, we shouldn't underestimate how, how significant the result was. It, you know, it, it, there, I think uh, one of the things that we kind of pointed out and linked to in the piece is the evidence that you know this this wasn't a something that happened in a vacuum or out, out of context that there has been a general trend to to the left over the last uh particularly over the last 12 years but over the last 20 years at least and uh some of the research that's been done on this mapping the situation of the the irish median voter has has showed a you know fairly steady trend from from right to centre by even by the time of the 2007 election and, and certainly uh, further into the centre left since since then. And so obviously what we saw in February was the continuation and the culmination of that and, and probably, a, you know, a slow release or a, a kind of a delayed reaction of the, the organic crisis of neoliberalism over the last number of years and, and the longer term structural crisis of of capitalism and i think younger people and younger voters increasingly do understand it intuitively through their own experiences with housing with precarious labor with the lack of a, a social safety net and, and all of that that you know even if they're not conceptualizing it coherently as a socialist politics or or articulating a, a socialist or marxist framework there is this you know increasing move in in that direction and and you know the the, the figures and the numbers reflect that but at, at the same time it's obviously you know it's 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 one snapshot at, at, a, at a particular moment in time but you know when we see the, the trajectory for Fine Fáil and Fine Gael collectively and their combined vote obviously is very clearly a continuous downward one and so you know the, the implications of that in consolidating this this le- left right axis really for the for the first time and now you know now with the way it's gone with the coalition deal having a a, a, a much clearer alignment of, of a left right axis in terms of government and opposition for for the first time really but i think regardless of the the pandemic and what ha- what's happened in the meantime you know you could see in the immediate aftermath of the election very quickly even when Fine Gael were talking about having to learn the lessons from this and take stock and retreat into opposition very quickly. The whole language of the national interest and stability and so on started to emerge. And there was this sense that, you know, at all costs, we need to coalesce and consolidate to, to avoid a Sinn Féin-led government. And that was, you know, that, that was very clear from the start. And so as much as there is a, a, an analysis and a, and a, a clear argument that, that the pandemic has helped the to establishment parties to consolidate and 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 maintain their position, uh, you know, it's it's quite likely that that there, there would have been some version or some iteration of that uh, that that would have happened anyway. Yeah, perfect. Just on that point, um, both of you touch on in the article that the coronavirus in some way altered the momentum of this election and has allowed the establishment parties to kind of uh, regain a foothold. How has this occurred, and do you see this being a temporary effect of the pandemic or long lasting? 
thing? I, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, in terms of what's happened with the pandemic, obviously this was a, you know, there's that, 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 that saying that people often, often use in these circumstances about the relationship between crises and, and opportunities. Uh, back in February, Fine Gael were dead in the water. Obviously, Leo Varadkar had essentially said that um, he was going to do the honourable thing and basically step back and allow all the parties to form a government. But what has happened in in, in the last uh, uh, four or five months is that, of course, Fine Gael has been able to um, uh, attempt to remake itself in the face of uh, the pandemic to depict itself as uh, the party that is a safe pair of hands in this moment of crisis, a party with a with a rather softer tone, with the the various essentially kind of Keynesian strategies that were adopted uh, in the face uh, of the pandemic. So what you have is this makeover and um, uh, of Varadkar in particular, and you see the success of this uh, in terms of his popularity that was down at thirty percent at the beginning of the year is now up to seventy five percent. But, uh, you know, a lot of that is about a, com- a compliant mainstream media. Um, but a lot of it is about also the kind of um, the absence of opposition in, in, in certain quarters or the absence of sufficient uh, opposition in certain quarters. Because what the um, uh, what Fine Gael in particular, um, as the outgoing kind of caretaker government were able to do was to depict themselves as the kind of mature leaders, the the party that has the appropriate mm-hmm. pedigree to lead us through this kind of this moment of this moment of uh, catastrophe. And the reality is, you know, myself and John have pointed out in a couple of articles and uh, John and his Tribune pieces that the reality is otherwise. Um, until literally about a week ago, Ireland's per capita death rate was literally higher than um, Donald Trump's America. Um, uh, a point of comparison that we have used in some of our stuff is with Finland, which has an almost identical population, a few hundred thousand people more, uh, which has um, a world-class uh, public uh, universal health uh, system, and the death rate in Ireland is six times higher. So the evidence of how the Irish state interim caretaker government and now something more stable, uh, supposedly, how they've dealt with this crisis is is very much at variance at how it's, uh, to how it's been depicted in the media. And one reason for that is the media, of course, has been very accommodating to this narrative. The other is that uh, the counter narrative hasn't been issued as strongly from Sinn Féin. I mean, we've had people, I mean, Breed Smith, yeah. Richard Boyd Barrett, Paul Murphy, I mean, people on the far left who have absolutely played a blinder during this um, during this crisis. But the problem is that those groupings don't have the economies of scale of Sinn Féin. They don't have the resources of the richest party in Ireland. They don't have the membership base. They don't have the profile. And frankly, they don't have the seats. And while um, it wouldn't be fair to say that Sinn Féin had been completely silent, these things Sinn Féin's agenda seems to have been otherwise. Um, They seem to have regarded the crisis as an opportunity not to advance the kind of um, the interests of a fair society, but rather to advance the interests of the United Ireland, which, of course, some people would say would be a fair society. But uh, one of the themes that runs through um, uh, the piece is that uh, Sinn Féin's relationship to socialism is a problematic one. And in this moment, the crisis, when we probably would have expected Sinn Féin to have taken the lead in opposition. Um, I think they've dropped the ball. Um, we could, I mean, we could develop that at, at greater length, but I think they dropped the ball and um, this has allowed essentially the establishment parties to play a trick which they love to play and which the establishment media loves to let them away with, which is that we are the adults in the room. 
um, in this, you know, in this, in, in, in this, these turbulent times, these changeful times, you know, uh, we really need, you know, these parental figures of the parties that have, you know, been bound up with the state for a century to um, essentially kind of talk us in uh, and sing us mm-hmm. to sleep and guide us through this, 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 this moment of the crisis, you know? I tell you, like, yeah, the other thing, I think that the, the, the pandemic conjuncture allowed Fine Gael to do just by virtue of the, the kind of accident of the timing of it, that they happened to be the ones still in control of of government administration, even though they, you know, they, they hadn't uh, uh, done that well in the election was to, to reposition themselves. The, the, obviously, the very clear message from the election was that people you know the, the two main priorities that we know uh, that that uh, people were concerned with were the, were the healthcare and the housing situation, and the very clear message was that people wanted uh, investment in public services and and wanted a more active and compassionate state to be looking after people. They didn't want the type of of regression into austerity and and small state territory that that Finnegan had brought us in over the last number of years. And so, you know, that that was a very clear message. And by virtue of the fact that they were the ones then dealing with the, the public health emergency, Finnegan were able to to use that to, to reposition themselves and to present themselves now as a more compassionate party that was going to learn those lessons and was was able to feign a kind of a shift back towards a more big state position, which, you know, we've, we've seen across Europe and the rest of the world in the context of this crisis and and we see it reflected in in the program for government we can talk more about that obviously around presenting this as now a green new deal government and a a stimulus government and so on and the pretense of that versus the the reality of of how that actually is going to manifest and play out over the next few years but but certainly i think there was a clear move from finnegale to 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 take advantage of uh of their position in response to to the election and as colin said the media has been very compliant in that you know and the similarities i think with the, with the brexit dynamic over the last few years are very clear as well in the sense that it's the, it's this sense of well they, they're not completely barbaric or 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 buffoonish in the way that the tories or, or other right-wing governments are in other parts of the world are at the moment and so therefore uh, we, we should give them credit and they've had to do uh, very little to get the boost that they've got from both of these situations really yeah, so uh, just on the point of a, uh, you mentioned the return to austerity, and and on this podcast we have extensively discussed the the failings of the program for government uh, and some issues around it. But both of you have discussed in the article how uh, you feel this effectively marks a return to the old way of doing things. Uh, what leads you to that conclusion? Well, I think there, there's a lot of straws in the wind, but I mean, as John w- was just saying there, obviously this is a this is a moment when. Um, uh, parties that, uh, certainly in the case of Fine Gael, have resisted the idea that the state should be the pivot of the economy, that the state should be the provider of essential services, health and ed- education and so on. It's a time when they can, you know, uh, abandon what they've said historically and adopt, you know, an ideologically convenient um, kind of Keynesian uh, big state uh, kind of strategy. I think the issue is what happens afterwards. Uh, and what happen, happens afterwards is, of course, a crisis. You know, the best case scenario is uh, an economic recession of you know, catastrophic um, levels. 
um, a context in which while the Irish government, the Irish state uh, is in a position to borrow in a way that wasn't, say, for example, during the last crisis, those conditions may not exist for too long. Um, the At an EU level, obviously there's resistance among several countries, most of them in Northern Europe, to essentially uh, monetizing debt, um, allowing countries to run up big budget de- deficits. And that's certainly going to be a constraint that will become more and more obvious in, say, two, three, four years over the lifetime of this government. So what you have is partly issues of what will be depicted as necessity. Uh, we can't spend beyond our means. We want to be the best uh, the best kids in class yet again and adhere to the EU fiscal rules. So there's certainly uh, that element of what we depicted as constraints, real world constraints. We can't look beyond our means. These levels of state expenditure cannot be extended in, in the medium term. The other is ideological choice and One of the important shifts in terms of what's happened over the last three, four months is, although Micheál Martin is Taoiseach for the next couple of years, Leo Varagher, as things stands, is the person who's on 75% in the opinion polls. He's on 30, his party's on 37% in the opinion polls. And Micheál Martin is the leader of a party that seems to be circling uh, the plug hole. And it really does seem that Fine Gael will be the power behind the throne. And obviously Fine Gael has a real ideological commitment to a neoliberal strategy, to an austerity strategy, when the moment uh, demands or, to be honest, when the moment permits. So I think we have a couple of things. One is real genuine economic problems and constraints. And another is ideological preferences of the people who make up the government. And as we point out in the article, you can already see people itching for this. You know, I mean, the mood music is there. You know, the the, the ground is being prepared for this. All the talk of tough choices, uh, of real world decisions, of mature leadership. I mean, these are obvious um, euphemisms for what we know will come down the road. But the context in which austerity will happen it looks like we think it will happen, uh, will be very, very different in all sorts of ways. But I think there, there's those two elements. There's those kind of, you know, in inverted commas, real world constraints that might facilitate government saying we need to do this. And the other is the real choices of class warfare, um, of the interests that Fine Gael in particular represent and the ways in which they will behave in, in these circumstances. But 2020, 21 isn't like 2008, 2009, as I'm sure we'll come on to, because a lot of people have learned lessons and not not least people on the left. And, you know, some people listening to this may not have experienced personally. Um, Most Irish people remember what austerity was like. Most Irish people remember, because they're still living through it, that the impact uh, of austerity and the supposed recovery, which I'm sure we'll come on to subsequently. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I suppose, I think we do need to distinguish as well between this conjuncture now and the, the 2008 crisis. Like, obviously, like Colin said, that at least for now, the the, the money is there to, to borrow. And so there will be in the short term, at least some kind of injection and, and stimulus package. And so I think the type of analysis needs to be nuanced in the sense that it's not going to be the austerity program isn't going to be the same and 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 as uh, coercive and and as imposed as as it was in in the previous round and so I think you know the the analysis then on, on the question of the, the state is important because it's not I think you know obviously the anti austerity argument and analysis what has been 
a central part of, of left politics for the last 10 years and, and rightly and importantly so. And obviously a lot of the battles have been necessarily fighting that and 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 uh, defensive kind of rear guard and, and essential battles. But at the same time, I think it's important not to get too squeezed into this idea that it's it's just about expanding the, the role of the state and trying to limit the, the shrinking of the state or limit the deregulation or the privatization or the austerity that it's also a question of of the nature of the state itself and whether it's one year or two year or three years before for this stimulus period to, to last before we, we start to see you know the inevitable turn back towards fiscal consolidation and and balancing budgets and reducing deficit and all of that there is the question around you know what what the what the role of the state is and, and what's the left analysis of that and i think we see that the type of disaster capitalism and the type of neoliberal ideas that we see in these in these crisis situations it's not it's not that purely small state deregulate it's it's uh, going back to the origins of neoliberalism and the neoliberal thinkers and economists themselves they always understood that at at certain points neoliberalism does rely on the state for for coercion, for management of response and, and for management of the market itself. And so if we're talking about a Green New Deal or a stimulus package or an investment in the short term, if, you know, obviously there's still there's still a, a, a strong fiscal conservatism in a lot of the Northern European countries, but we have started at least temporarily for now to see the German position soften and you know an opening up of some of the fiscal rules in, in the eu at least temporarily but you know the question is where where is that what is that sim- stimulus money going to be used for and and is this the state intervention that we're going to see primarily going to be about consolidating capital rather than about fundamentally transforming the the way in which the the economy is structured and and it's going to be a spend stimulus rather than a a transformation to public ownership and public control and workers control of of the economy and i think that's that's going to be in in the medium term horizon anyway the, the main agenda i think that the left needs to start to start articulating more more clearly I, th- I think also just 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 to 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 move on from that as well, what John, what John has just said there, something that is very different from twelve thirteen years ago, is that uh, the kind of forces of the right and Irish politics have conceded a great deal. I mean, not just in Ireland but many other societies that in moments of crisis it is the state and its capacity to spend and 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 so on that 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 is essential for maintaining people, it's essential for economic progress and economic stability. Um, and what's going to be very interesting over the next few years is the parties that have that have acted in an essentially Keynesian way, they have it now in black and white in the, the agreement that they had in the middle of, of April that we can't go back, things have to be done differently. That, uh, I mean, in that, that agreement in the middle of April, much more than in the programme for government as a kind of a, so an ideological roadmap, what essentially mm-hmm. the two centre-right parties in Ireland have said, the big establishment parties historically have said, is the state has to be in the centre of pretty much everything. Um, the state has to be in the centre of healthcare, it has to be centre of childcare, it has to be in the centre of um, housing. Uh, now, of course, we know they don't mean that, but the point is that they've said it, and they've said it very, very explicitly in a way that they've never said it before. Now, I think our experience of the last dozen years is that, you know, our society is capable of being led into moments of historical amnesia. There's been a lot of uh, forgetfulness, I think, over the last dozen years, but I'm not sure people 
will be hoodwinked um, quite as much as they were during the last uh, period of austerity when we were told that we all partied and all the all the other tropes that we we we, we remember. And so the ground has shifted. Now that ground can shift again. But the ideological spade work that's required to convince Irish people after the vast levels of expenditure in terms of supporting people's incomes, supporting uh, people's businesses and so on over the last few months, it's going to take an awful lot to persuade people that that is completely aberrant, that that is not the norm, that uh, this is something that can't be repeated even in a diluted version at some point uh, in the future. So we have this moment were the kind of the the the, the, the political uh, center of gravity in Ireland has ha, has shifted. It can shift again because we've 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 seen this. I mean, these people, these these politicians are capable of speaking out of both sides of the mouth at the at, at the same time. But the the thing is, as John was was saying there previously, um, there is an opportunity. Um, you know, the wind's at our backs in a way, despite the fact we have essentially a right wing government after this huge demand for change and, and how appalling and how disappointing that is. The wind is at our backs in all sorts of ways. There are, there are historic opportunities now that may not necessarily be there when this government kind of limps into dissolution at some point over the next uh, five years or so. Yeah, and given the uh, changed momentum here, I think the point was made that while the left will have taken the lessons from uh, the years Following the crash, I think so will the government, and that can kind of be seen in the initial spending measures that are proposed by the Programme for Government. And we've made note that uh, it seems that austerity measures have been backloaded for the time being, but that's not to say that they won't be pursued. I think given the issues raised around the policies of this government, what do you see as the prospects uh, of it and for the parties involved? And where do you see the the main battlegrounds being uh, in the coming years? Yeah, well, I think I mean I think a lot will depend on on the, the the broader international economic scenario over the over the next few years because what what the program for government and a lot of the aspirations that are in there are premised on is the idea that we borrow now we can afford to borrow because the rates are low we can increase the the debt levels and in two or three or four years time when those debt levels and we've mentioned one of the the fiscal advisory council's reports from from quite recently there on the the different scenarios it's modeling for COVID-19 and post-pandemic scenario they're they're talking about potentially Ireland's debt levels being at, at at near record historic highs by the end of 2021 and so what the current government are I think planning and, and hoping for is that by that stage there'll be a, a, re- a recovery starting internationally and that the economy will be able to return to growth and so the debt isn't going to be such, such an issue but that's hopeful thinking obviously you know, there's a lot of variables and a lot of factors and we don't know what, what's going to happen with the pandemic and the virus itself let alone the the, the economic realignments that, that it's causing and, and, and will continue to cause for quite some time so i think obviously we're you know we're contingent on and and heavily reliant on an export led foreign direct investment based structure to our economy and i just i just saw there was a report in one of the papers there earlier on that where one of the figures that uh, that's come up was a 
the, I think the IDA are, are now projected a 40% drop in, in FDI due to, due to the, the pandemic. And so that will have, you know, obviously a ma- major impact on the economy here. And so if as Nasa Hurrigan and some of the, the dissenting Green Party negotiators and representatives have argued that, you know, uh, as it stands and on the basis of what we know, the terminology and the language around budget deficits, balancing budgets, fiscal uh, alignment and so on, that, that's in, that's there in, in very much in plain sight in the programme for government. If that translates into what we think it will translate into, that 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 will mean austerity within the life cycle of, of this government. And that's obviously not going to go, go well for the Green Party, particularly uh, there, you know, as has uh, tended to be the case with with junior partners in these co- kind of coalitions in the past. Uh, it, we know we're familiar with the, the the way the script plays out, and the supposedly centre left leaning junior partner ends up being the uh, the one held most responsible, and th- and that's obviously going to be damaging for the left and damaging for the environmental movement in Ireland in in the short term. But I mean, we've seen we've seen that happened very recently, obviously in in very recent history of the Green Party itself. Yeah, I I think that. Uh... Essentially, you have a government uh, that is bipolar, and I think this like that, that that kind of bipolarity is set out in in uh, that document in the middle of of April that says, at the one hand, you know the state is gonna you know become the kind of fulcrum of the economy. We're going to have a you know, properly kind of universal health care. You know, we're going to have state building of houses and all the rest of it, and at the same time, tells us completely the opposite, which is that the strategy that has been pursued for uh, 30 years or more, which is essentially the free market, um, FDI, fiscal prudence, not living beyond our means and all of those uh, things. Um, and you can see it in the programme for government. And the things that led to the Sinn Féin surge back at the beginning of the year haven't gone away, you know. I mean, they're still there. You know, in the programme for government, one of the things that's so astonishing and its predictability is just how insipid all of these uh, claims and pledges are uh, in terms of housing. I mean, it looks like the, the the state is going to, at best, even if it keeps its promises, build 25,000 houses, which is a long way short, obviously. It's very obvious that there's no intention to change the health service whatsoever. Uh, you know, that uh, this, 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 this uh, semi-privatised system is going to go ahead. This, you know, the record numbers of people, what was it in the, back in January? 10,000, 12,000 people on trolleys. Um, there's nothing in this programme of government that's going to change any of that. So the things that were key... You know, almost 60% of people back in uh, the exit poll back in uh, uh, February said the health and housing are the two big two big issues. They're likely to remain among those big issues. And there's nothing in this that is necessarily going to change this. And again, that kind of that, um, that bipolar nature of that, uh, this government is going to be very obvious in terms of what happens in the first couple of years, what happens in the latter half of this government, because they're going to have to do something to try and keep Sinn Féin at bay. They're going to have to make some gestures towards that we've learned their lesson, the mistakes of the past won't be repeated, um, we've, we've listened to the people and we know the people want to see lower rents, better housing, longer tenancies, all of these things. But the reality of it is they have no programme in the long term that will facilitate that. And when Leo Varadkar comes back into power, all other things being equal at the end of 2022, you know, the walls will be closing in, you know, uh, in terms of the global economy, uh, in terms of the rates on kind of state bonds in the international markets, in terms of the EU reverting to type and saying to states, no, you can't live 
beyond your means, you know, that uh, your budget deficits can't be more than whatever it is, 3% of GDP and so on. And I think that's that i think that's going to be the nature of it um is 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 just that almost kind of schizophrenic combination of these very mm-hmm. different things with the green party as john says uh, the green party as uh, presumably whatever term you want to use the fig leaf um the the fall guys perhaps uh, ultimately because this was very much pitched as the green new deal and so on and obviously it appears very very threadbare so i i i think it's going to be it's going to be very very interesting viewing apart from the fact that so many ordinary people are going to face into futures of unemployment per employment per housing and probably if anything even worse healthcare if that's if that's imaginable yeah, and I think that'll be heightened. I, I mean, we made the point uh, recently that you're also removing the pressure valve of the past of immigration if current circumstances continue and will open up even more space. I think one of the biggest questions raised is the prospects and development of Sinn Féin. You discuss in the article the kind of adaptable qualities of the party and the fact that it has at times shelved its perceived left-wing or radical agenda in favour of expediency or power. It has been argued on, on this podcast actually recently that in these five years we could see a turn in Sinn Féin as they attempt to show that they too could capably uh, manage capitalism in government and there's been some indications in this in their talks of entering government with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael prior to being shut out by the two parties and their record in the North and on some local councils. Uh, what do you both make of this and how do you see that developing? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, we've written about and, and Dan Finn and others have written about um, about Sinn Féin in this kind of idea of, of them being adaptable. And I think, you know, we've seen that in the North in in recent years and Colin would speak to that in a lot more depth than me in terms of, you know, the, the compromises uh, that that they've made and the the role that they've played there in you know as 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 managers of of a you know a, a, a very particular type of capitalist um state in an, an unusual kind of coalition dynamic there obviously but the you know i think even if we you know if you if you go back to over the, the history of Sinn Féin in electoral politics in the south they obviously they only got their first seats in the in the Dáil in 97 then had a you know significant enough boost in in 2002 and we're starting to to come more into the mainstream and 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 at that point you know they, they started to uh, i think soften a lot of their positions they had been arguing for and had a position on on raising the corporate tax rate at at that point and were in 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 certain ways were were positioned themselves as as a left party when it came towards the 2007 election and they seemed to be in a position to to I think they'd done quite well in the 2004 locals and Europeans and they were they were trying to build on that and and there you see a a, a shift back to a, to a more conservative position they drop the position on on increasing the corporate tax rate and they try and present themselves at that point you know as a as a reliable stable potential partner in in government for for one of the larger parties uh what was interesting i think in 2007 they they ended up you know going backwards in a way they only ended they, they only got four seats from what i remember in in 2007 and so i think a lot of people in the party learned the lessons of that that there, it wasn't going to be in uh to their benefit to try and position themselves in the center when that space was already so heavily 
saturated and so they've they've obviously you know in, and with the way things have gone with uh, the, the crash in 2008 and everything that's happened since then they've been able to to, to carve out a, a much stronger foothold now in in the votes since then by maintaining a, a, a more clearly robust uh, center left position to uh, to distinguish themselves from the establishment parties but the malleable nature of the of the party the pragmatic approaches that we've seen them take in different contexts would leave you uncertain about about how things are going to go and how they're going to position themselves into the future and particularly under this you know a, a new generation of, of leadership and the fact that they've you know at least outwardly indicated that they're open to coalition with with the establishment parties and we could try and give them the the benefit of the doubt and say that's you know that's a tactical ma- maneuver because they know Finnegal or Finnefoy won't go in with them for now and so they're trying to to shut to expose that or to show that up but you know the fact that it's gone through internal votes at at their Ardesh and so on you know it, it it wouldn't inspire a huge amount of confidence in them maintaining principled a principled left position. No, I I I think again I can John what John said there. There's there's a lot that would make you cautious about Sinn Féin. Uh, I mean, certainly the track record in, in, in Northern Ireland uh, during that, that decade, they shared power with the DUP uh, 2007 mm-hmm. to 2017 before the collapse of the institutions, the support for public-private partnerships, um, the campaigning for the reduction in the corporation tax route, and of course, the very pragmatic acceptance of you know, the Welfare Reform Act in, 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 in extension in Northern Ireland. But I think it's important to it's very easy on the left, and I find it easier. I have to be honest than the the most people to castigate Sinn Fein for its you know fairly um, threadbare socialist credentials. And there's a couple of things I think we need to I think we need to pause and kind of think a wee bit more about, about this. Possibly there's a couple of things that are very different compared to say 2017 when Martin McGuinness, you know, very frail Martin McGuinness um, announced that uh, the institutions were going to be collapsed. Um, one is of course. The McGuinness is dead. Uh, Jerry Adams is no longer um, president of Sinn Féin. And the project in Stormont to essentially accept pretty much anything that the DUP threw at them in order to maintain their position in power. And certainly Sinn Féin seem much more intent in remaining and keeping Stormont afloat um, than the DUP did. Uh, that perhaps has perhaps has gone to the grave with Martin McGuinness, but that remains to be seen. Obviously, we've only had six months of this uh, renewed storm at institutions, uh, and we will find out over the next couple of years, and particularly assuming in the light of the, you know, the the bickering that's going on over uh, the Bobby Story funeral um, a few days ago, but we'll find out if, if the institutions remain, possibly in a couple of years' time, when the mitigations of the Welfare Reform Act, the various forms of public provision, which were uh, brought in to, to, to diminish the impact of all of those various uh, awful changes to the social welfare system, uh, when they are removed, possibly finally. But so, I, you know, we need to be kind of careful about that. Um, Sinn Féin possibly has changed. The leadership um, has changed. Another thing, obviously, has changed is that Sinn Féin are by far and away the principal voice of the left, even if we dispute their leftist credentials and their leftist mm. credentials are easily disputed. And they are now Michael Taft. Uh, I think in one of his uh, articles and notes in the front said that there were basically 60% of what he terms the kind of progressive forces in Irish politics. In four or five years' time, they might well be substantially more than that uh, because, of course, the Greens 
uh, may go the way of pretty much every other kind of kingmaker party in, 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 in the past in the Irish political system. Uh, Sinn Féin organising their vote might potentially diminish further the the, the, the far left uh, and so on. So um, another thing is essentially that whether we like it or not, and I have to be honest, I'm not mad keen on it, um, is that Sinn Féin is the principal vote of what might be very loosely termed the Irish left. And that means that in any kind of, in, in any conversation between people who regard themselves on the left, you know, as Michael Toft was saying in his recent uh, Tribune piece came out the same day as our own, I think, uh, perhaps we need to rethink about how we speak across some of these kind of ideological and personal distinctions. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges facing the socialist left at the moment is how you relate to Sinn Féin's new position. We on uh, this podcast have argued another boundary is the kind of fractured nature of the left at the moment and have argued for the coming together of left forces on a principled basis, the creation of a broad left party or some form of like, continued cooperation. And there seems to be some positive developments in this regard. What do you see as the challenges and opportunities facing the socialist left uh, in the coming years? Well, I, I think it's important and significant and uh, positive to see those kind of conversations happening. And obviously, there's you know there, there is a long history of sectarianism and, and polarization within different uh, elements of, of left forces and groupings in in the Irish landscape. And as much as anywhere else, that you know that that that's a constant battle. And and, and you know the, the the question of 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 unity and of broad left alliance and so on is is obviously a lot easier said than done. But, you know, it, it, I think it is um, important work and it's significant that there is, from what I can make of it, to be some progress in, in those directions. And so that is, uh, that is important. I think, you know, we, can, we can't underestimate the scale of the, of the challenge that's there, you know, from a, from a radical left or socialist left perspective to, to build the type of, of nationwide support that would be required to, to be in a, a position of, of real strength in terms of electoral politics. Obviously, the whole question of social movements and politicisation outside of parliamentary politics is a different question and one where the left has had a lot more um, influence and impact in, in the last generation or two. But if we're talking about parliamentary politics and all of the um, issues issues around build, building a, a progressive left force that can actually become the, the government in this jurisdiction, that's you know that's that's a historic challenge that's that's that we've never even come close to scaling point in in the history of the state. And if we think about you know the, the global context, you know I think we have to be we have to be realistic and we have to acknowledge the the structural obstacles and and the the, the weakness that the, the left uh, is in globally in, in the bigger picture of things there has been I think there has been significant progress over the last 10 years but that's that's coming on the back of you know all of the historic defeats for for socialism the histo- the hollowing out of social democracy the neoliberal settlement and everything that happened in the 1980s and 90s that you know the scale of the challenges is really unprecedented and so if we think about various different fragments and uh, splinters of, of life that have come true in the last 10 years from elements of the Sanders Corbyn campaigns and so on in, in other parts of the, the global north Anglosphere if we think about you know at least certain elements of left consolidation and, and growth in the global south and so on there, there are structural realignments happening that are not always uh, unfavorable and some of which are going in, in the right direction but at the same time in, in the Irish context you know it, I think we're at a very early 
stage of that of that arc and so i, I you know I, I would caution against being over optimistic in in the the lifetime of this particular government or the next election cycle but that's not to say if if, if certain actors and players don't play don't play their cards right that we can't be in a position where you could potentially have a, a left-leaning government in in, in, the, in the very near future but that you know that that will also obviously come with its own set of pitfalls and and traps because if you know the, the, and we've seen the, the the experience of this in with the Syriza example and many other examples if you as a left alliance take power when you know when the circumstances are are hugely stacked or aligned against you or if you come into to government too soon before before you've built the the kind of scale and breadth of political education and social base uh, and and politicization uh, of of workers and ordinary people that that will come with you through the inevitable reaction and and counter counter forces that are going to be there you know we 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 know the the, the dangers of what can happen there but you know i think there is there, there's some scope at least compared to 10 years ago and the previous crisis i think there is there is uh, scope for optimism certainly yeah I, I i have to agree with that because um I mean, it's something that uh, I think like Dan Finn and, and Michael Taft have been saying for many years, how far things have shifted, you know, how that hegemony of the two big parties has, has I mean, unraveled over a remarkably short space of time. The, 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 the fact that people like Paul Murphy, Breed uh, Smith, Richard Boyd Bard are almost household names and so on, mm-hmm. um, that uh, people from the, 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 the socialist left are, are public figures and, and involved in those debates is critical. The fact that we've had mass uh, social movements um, about a range of issues involving lots of different people that a lot of younger people have involved in over the over in recent years. That that there's a lot of resources for hope there. Um, I think uh, again all the qualifications um, that John made. But I mean, I, I, another thing again, you know, while I would usually be very critical of Sinn Fein, one of the things that's very interesting. I mean, obviously Sinn Fein in a very different position than any other force to the left. They they're the wealthiest yeah. party in Ireland. Um, they have an activist base. They have you know. Is that awful phrase? The economy is a scale that allows people to do to do things. But in the the, the run up that election, or even not even the run up in, in the years running up that that election, they took key issues. They got their best people. Uh, they did the groundwork and they communicated things in a way which was very accessible, uh, appealed to people's common sense, um, that was very credible, that was good on the detail. And I mean, obviously, people talk about Owen O'Brien and, you know, who obviously played a blinder in terms of um, the, the housing issue. But you could see it, other elements of the kind of uh, Sinn Féin, uh, other figures in the Sinn Féin front bench on health and the economy, who, when they were pressed on issues, were well briefed, were on top of the data, were on top of the arguments, um, who kept plugging away. And I think um there's, I wouldn't say mo- a model there, but there is an indication there that if you organize, um, if you specialize in certain respects, if you prioritize, you can win these arguments. I, you know, a year ago, if we were sitting here this time last year and we were looking ahead, you know, even if we went back to maybe December and we were to think, OK, there's going to be an election not yet called in December, but there's going to be an election in the next few months. Who would we have thought were going to be the beneficiaries of that? I mean, it may have looked as if the Greens, the Greens were on a serious yeah. surge, you know, this time last year. Um, same number of votes as Sinn Féin, more or less. But uh, in the European elections, I think. Uh, but essentially, it looked as if the, 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 the wind was in their sails. 
But one of the reasons Sinn Féin won this was because of, frankly, the weakness of the, the Green leadership, because of their inability mm-hmm. to talk about the things that were really important to people, but also because Sinn Féin did it. And they did it partly because they have resources, but partly because they used the resources very cannily um, to take two or three keynote issues and to really set the agenda, especially on housing. And I think that's that's definitely something something um, to learn, you know, as we go forward. Not least in terms of even, for example, the connections between you know certain versions of political activism and perhaps academic research, and you know, which I I I, I don't think there's a lot of historically I'm not sure there's been a lot of joined up thinking there you know there's a lot of good work going on research going on that doesn't necessarily Mm. always filter its way into left parties maybe the the dialogue there needs to be better in future you know and you know obviously uh, maybe uh, people like ourselves need to be much more uh, engaged on those kinds of issues but I think um, I'm I'm going to go against type um, and, and, and kind of perhaps be a wee bit more optimistic about this because a lot of things you know, again, if we were having this conversation, you know, uh, 10 or 12 years ago to imagine that there was genuine socialists in the doll, um, to imagine that um, Fianna Fáil is on 14 percent of the vote, um, to imagine that there's essentially going to be a de facto centre right party in, in the near future, that there's a possibility of a left right uh, division at a time when perhaps a lot of other kind of Western democracies, uh, the the water has been poisoned by extreme versions of nationalism. I think there's a lot to be positive about, but there's a lot to be lost. I mean, I think that um, the the kind of the constant splits, the constant divisions of the last decade, we all know what that leads to. It leads to you know the the kinds of marginalisation that, um, that that can happen to the left. So um, I would be cautiously optimistic, but um, it remains to be seen. I think I'd agree. There is reasons to be optimistic, and uh, I think we should end on those reasons as a as a good finishing note. So, of course, I'd have like to thank Colin and John for joining me today. It was a pleasure, and we'd be happy to have both of you back on again in the future to discuss things as they change. Brilliant. Thanks, Amain, for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, David. No, no problem at all. Thanks, Amain, lads. I think we can uh, call that there. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can find more uh, info in the episode description. And we'll be back next week. See you later.